All right, hello everyone and welcome to Take to Take Quarantine Edition, episode four. Uh, this time it's a Lukeless episode. We are joined by a very special guest. He does OHL draft coverage. He does, he's a scout and does social media work for the Oakville Blades. He's a U Sports correspondent and just recently got hired by McKean's Hockey, Mr. Rain Hernandez. Rain, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me. That was one hell of an intro. I'm uh, pretty honored and uh, I'm excited to talk hockey with you guys today. Yeah, quite quite a resume for such a young age. So first of all, congrats on McKean's thank Hockey. Definitely thank you. Thank you. McKean's uh, does some excellent work over there. Um, we recently, in the last episode, it was just Nick and I talking about the class action lawsuit in the CHL involving Dan Carcillo and Garrett Taylor. Um, when that story gains a bit more traction, we're obviously going to elaborate more on that. But since nothing has happened, we're going to move on into the draft lottery, which was last night um, or two nights ago. And uh, last night? I don't even remember. No, two, nights two, nights two nights ago. Two nights ago. <laughs> All right. That draft lottery, that was uh, two nights ago. Talk about the results and um, talk about some of the discussions that have been circulating around, especially on hockey Twitter, about what this means. Uh, for placeholder teams and the teams that got a good spot or a bad spot. So, Nick, if you want to pull those results up, we can um, talk Absolutely, about Absolutely, my good sir. There we are. So, as you see there, uh, obviously not much change in the 876 area, but the Ottawa Senators, with their own draft pick, dropped back from uh, the second highest odds all the way back to number five. Probably the biggest drop of all, the Detroit Red Wings dropped from the first spot to four. That's pretty crummy for a team who won 17 games, I believe, this year. Uh, the Ottawa Senators won the third draft pick lottery with the San Jose Sharks draft pick that they got in the Eric Carlson trade. Uh, and then it all came down to the first overall pick. The Los Angeles Kings ended up picking second, and the first overall pick will be determined after the NHL's playoff qualification round. So there will be a second lottery at some point. Obviously, not something a lot of people were expecting, but uh, a lot of people who love chaos were definitely cheering for that option. Pat and Rain, any reaction to the first overall pick not being determined quite yet? Personally, with me, I thought it was uh, this was the NHL's worst-case scenario, and it ended up happening. Uh, the fact of the matter is, like, it's never a good idea to have a the lottery start when you know your your final standings haven't officially been you know done and now that this has happened it's uh it's interesting and I feel bad for Detroit fans in particular yeah I think I think this lottery it's a worst case scenario and also best case scenario for the NHL in terms of ratings obviously losing a ton of money during the pandemic um, and just seeing the reaction I think a lot of people felt the worst for Ottawa and Buffalo but I felt that if you're a Red Wings fan, you ought to be the, the, the most upset about this entire thing. I mean, for all the talk about Buffalo being upset, are we going to pretend like they didn't get Eichel and Darlene? You know, they didn't have success at eight before, but those three, they still have a good base. Ottawa as well. But I think the biggest thing coming out of this entire lottery is that a lot of people are thinking it's rigged. A lot of people are assuming that this is to bring more ratings and so that, you know, the NHL loses a lot of money if Lafreniere ends up going to Montreal or one of those teams it'll help generate more revenue when the league comes back. And I was just curious what you guys thought. Do you think it's rigged or do you guys still believe that this is 100% random? Well, I think you touched on it briefly. Um, obviously, I'll get this out of the way. I don't feel bad for Buffalo. Buffalo has had their first overall pick in Rasmus Dahlin, and they didn't have very high odds to begin with. New Jersey have had two first overall picks recently. Don't feel bad for them. And uh, the rest of the field there, I think all were very worthy uh, contenders very worthy of that first overall pick and worthy of having Alexi Lafreniere in their NHL lineup next year. Yeah. Um, to say whether it's rigged or not, obviously we can't say because there's no definitive proof that it's rigged. The NHL has a full audit process done on this and it is sent and recorded uh, for GMs now in the pandemic. They're actually not there to view it because of the social distancing protocols that the NHL has taken. But to say whether it's rigged or not is really hard to say if there's no proof or actual evidence that it was rigged, but this in many ways blew up in the NHL's face because I think at the end of the day, if they just washed their hands with the lottery and three of these teams got the first, second, and third overall picks, I think it's not that big of a news story, but to have now an entire playoff qualification round have to happen before we know 
uh, who's going to be in the lottery now, a second lottery to determine the first overall pick. I think that's a total mess. Um, definitely not what the NHL wanted, like Rain said. But I think in some ways they're probably happy because Alexi Lafreniere now is going to step in on a pretty decent fringe team next year, chances are. And especially if it's something like Montreal, I mean, you can just begin to print the money right there. So that's, uh, that's pretty much my thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, that's, the, that's the biggest thing is not people weren't really sure what this meant. And I think, you know, this was – Sens fans were, were so excited to potentially get one and two. And Detroit obviously got the worst scenario. But Ottawa getting three and five. Nick, I know you have some thoughts about the lottery system itself. Do you think that – because obviously they changed it about six years ago. Do you think the lottery system needs to be changed going forward? What are your – uh, qualms, I guess, or what bugs you about the system? Not re- regardless of Ottawa's results. What about the system? Do you think the NHL should change, not just for Ottawa, but for any team uh, going forward? Yeah, obviously, it's hard uh, for me personally with my ties. Like it would be for either of you guys to look at this as a truly professional way, because the fan inside of me, the Ottawa Senators fan that grew up, really wanted the team to have two very, very high picks. And obviously, three and five are good picks. They're going to get very good players at that point, and we're going to touch on that later. Uh, I do feel bad for Detroit dropping one to four because obviously a 17 win team, uh, while a fourth overall pick is really good, it's not what Detroit needs right now. And I think the NHL in general needs a team like Detroit, an original six franchise to be successful. That really helps them. The Rangers and the Leafs coming back and reemerging over the past couple of years has really helped the NHL's business model as a whole. With regards to the lottery and if anything needs to be changed there, I that's where I really feel bad for Ottawa because if you look at Ottawa's uh, record and lottery results over the past three years. So we're going to go back to 2018, the Dalin year where Ottawa finished second last in the league, had a really disappointing year that year. And they dropped from the second highest odds. Once again, like they had this year to uh, the fourth overall pick after losing two of the lottery spots. And the difference in that was uh, between Andrei Svechnikov and Brady Kachuk, who they ended up with. Obviously, Brady Kachuk's a great player, but Andrei Svechnikov sorry, is probably on a different level, and I think we'd all agree with that. Then again, last year, Ottawa did not have their first overall pick. Colorado had that pick after Ottawa finished dead last in the league, but that pick went from first to fourth. And then this year, Ottawa goes from second to fifth. So you look at it like that and they just have a pattern of losing all these precious positions in the lottery, whether it's for them or for Colorado, the same things happened with Detroit. I think they've dropped now a total of eight spots in the past few lotteries. I think while the NHL has done a good job of preventing tanking, and I think that is something that they should continue to do at some point, these really, really bad teams need to be rewarded in some way because the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings and teams like them just can't be bad forever. And while they're going to still get good players in this draft, it's not that franchise game-breaking player. I mean, we just have to look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and see what winning the Austin Matthews lottery did for them. If they dropped a few spots that year and ended up with somebody like a Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's a really different story in Toronto right now. So I think in some way the league needs to address something to help reward some of these unfortunate teams in the lottery I think that would be nice to see I'm not sure how exactly you would go about that but having all these fringe teams jump up every year is I'm sure it's getting tiresome for the GMs of the bottom feeder teams I'm not sure if Rain has any thoughts on that as well no I agree with it 100% I think it's it's never a you know a good look for any league in particular is when you have your worst teams in the league lose the lottery because uh, that gives them, you know, more years of unlucky, you know, bad luck. And it doesn't speed up their process of having a rebuild. If you look at other sports like the NBA or the NFL, uh, the NFL, they don't even have a lottery. It's whoever has the worst record gets the first overall pick. And with the NBA, there's not as much movement, uh, you know, with the first overall pick. So these teams are sort of getting rewarded uh, for having, you know, a bad season. Whereas the NHL, it's, it's a new team every year. Like I understand you want to have a lottery that has, uh, you know, something that, that sort of, uh, creates, you know, controversy and, you know, have something to talk about, but on the other side of things with, uh, some of these franchises and their fan bases, 
you know, they're losing the lottery and they don't get that franchise guy. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like something should change with the lottery. I don't know how, uh, like Nick said, but uh, it's never a good look to have, you know, the worst teams in the league lose the lottery as well. Right. I think you make a good point about the NFL, Nick, you know, when you said the worst team is gets the first pick and stuff like that. That's the, you know, non-hockey fans on Twitter were saying this is the most NHL, even hockey fans were saying this is the most NHL thing to happen. You look at every single time there's a, there's a scenario where the NHL has to act. It always seems like the worst possible thing happened or something that doesn't make the most sense. That just kind of speaks to how the NHL is. And obviously this is chaos. And <clears throat> the one thing I will say about this entire event is having no sports, especially no hockey, because we know, we know there's still soccer going on, having no hockey and then having this of all things to happen, I would say was a positive in the sense that we got to see some more discussion on Twitter. We got to see some more engagement. We got to see the emotion come out, which we haven't seen in a long time. So the only sort of positive, and I guess for me being a Habs fan, knowing that that could be Montreal. Um, but back to the system real quick, I wanted to talk about this because having the lottery, and we talked about this before the show started, having the lottery before the play-in, now knowing that there's a play-in team who could lose is pretty, is pretty dumb because that creates an incentive to lose. So if you look at a team, it was Team E, which was Winnipeg. So now Winnipeg could have the incentive to lose knowing that they're in the lottery. But people are also saying, well, if they revealed Winnipeg, they would want to lose. But all those teams are going to want to lose now. So do you guys think they should have waited for the plan or does this seem a little bit uh, ridiculous to you guys? Yeah, I could have seen them waiting for the plan. Like, again, like you said, it just creates that overall incentive to lose. I don't see why Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens with a chance, a 12.5% chance, which is a pretty high percentage at drafting the hometown boy, the hometown hero, and Alexi Lafreniere. I don't see why they'd have any incentive to try and defeat the Pittsburgh Penguins in a playoff series uh, qualifier now. Or even we've seen a lot of Toronto Maple Leaf fans saying, okay, well, if we lose another playoff series, now we're going to have a shot at another, another high draft pick. And, you're going to have some good teams in that lottery. There's going to be an upset or two in this playoff qualifier. I think we all sort of know that. And we obviously don't know what to expect when play returns because of the COVID restrictions and what teams are going to be in shape. We could have some really good teams in this lottery. And I think that's something the NHL definitely doesn't need. Do we need Alexi Lafreniere playing with Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby next year? If the Habs manage to pull off an upset, do the Florida Panthers really need Alexei Lafreniere it's there's some really challenging questions in here that the NHL probably didn't plan for I know all the GMs had to sign off on this exact plan so the bottom feeder teams knew this was a possibility but I'm surprised the league didn't try to go something like the feeder teams can only move up something like four or five spots if they win a lottery. I think that would have been a lot better, a lot more fair because again, for these bottom teams now, there is no reward for them. And I really feel bad for all the fans and the GMs and the staff of these teams because Los Angeles, Ottawa, Detroit, Anaheim, New Jersey, Buffalo are not going to play now until 2021. That much is clear. They will not be playing any hockey until some point next year. Not only do they have not have that engagement with fans or that ability to play, they now don't have the reward in terms of draft picks or anything like that. They don't have the conversation around them now. All the conversation is now shifted back to the play-in teams who received sort of that incentive and that reward now to play more hockey games, more engagement for the fans. So I really feel bad for the bottom teams in that sense. And it's probably why I would have liked to have seen the league try to do something to make that more fair and reward those bottom teams more. Yeah, I think with me, uh, there's, I feel like, you know, this is still technically playoff hockey with this uh, play-in round. So I, I think the players that are that are playing, they won't, you know, throw a game away, you know, that sort of thing. But I still feel like, you know, hockey Twitter, if a team loses – there will be that lazy narrative that's thrown around like, oh, they threw away that series so they can have a chance at Lafreniere, right? So uh, in that sense, like, I, 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 this is just overall like a, a really bad scenario for the NHL just to have your bottom feeder teams, you know, not win the lottery and to have, yeah, say what if Pittsburgh wins it or Toronto wins it, it's, uh, yeah, they're going to be even more stacked, but, you know, it just creates like a, a weird imbalance with the league and that's something that, you know, none of us wants to see. Yeah, that's the thing. I think people are worried about, 
you know, the, the potential or just the thought of Lafreniere joining Crosby and Malkin or McDavid and Dreisaitl or Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, it's pretty scary. And I think that does create an incentive. And you look at a team like Toronto who had a rough year and weren't expected to go far at all and Lafreniere falls into their laps, that that sort of does a disservice to teams such as Detroit, uh, LA, Ottawa. So um, we'll move on from that. I think I agree. I think you guys both made some great points. We'll talk about um, LA adding to their prospect pool and then um, we'll move on to some questions we have for you, Rain. Um, so LA has, without a doubt, especially now, uh, one of the best prospect pools, if not the best prospect pool in the NHL. With the second overall pick, for whatever reason, hockey Twitter is not impressed with Quinton Byfield, and some see Tim Stutzlo um, as the lock at number two. With the centers that LA has in Turcotte and Kopitar, would they pass up on Byfield and take a winger because he fits a need, or would they take Byfield knowing that he'll be better than all the centers they have, and then when Kopitar retires, he's that guy? Um, what do you? Who do you think they will take, and who do you think they should take? So I, I guess I'll start. I think uh, they they should take Quinn Byfield. I think when you're at a position like number two overall, you got to take the best player available. I mean, you know, if you think about the center depth that the Kings prospect pool have, they have, you know, Alex Turcotte, they have Gabe Velarde as well. So to add Byfield there, you'd have a three-headed monster, which, you know, not many teams in the NHL can compete with. So I, I would personally take Byfield, but you know, since you already have like a Turcotte and a Velarde and, you know, Kopitar still, you know, into obviously the later part of his career, but still, still has a, you know, a few good years, you know, ahead of him, uh, you know, Tim Stutzla would be, you know, I think uh, LA will probably end up taking. Yeah. I, th I think the thing with, with Stutzla is again, people are seeing him and a lot of this goes back to the world junior performance. I think as, as good as Stutzel is, the, the Patrick Kane comparison, Nick and I were talking about this, the Patrick Kane comparison needs to stop because people are going to turn on him really quickly. Um, for whatever reason, he seems to be the consensus two and three. And I know for my rankings that I've, that I've been working on, I don't, I don't have him um, there. If anything, I have, I have him closer to five. But I think if you're in LA's position and you have those centers like you mentioned, you know, Kopitar is almost 33. And Byfield is almost guaranteed to be better than Turcotte and Velarde and then all those guys. So you may as well take him. Kopitar can mentor Byfield and then for the wingers you have or the centers you have if you're in a position of strength down the middle you can move someone for a winger like Stutzel uh, and stuff like that so I would if I'm LA I think they should definitely take Byfield but I agree I think they might uh, take the winger uh, Nick yeah I think you guys both hit it on the head uh, Rain especially when he said you got to draft the best player available and that's usually been the rule of thumb for GMs that high in the draft and that's what LA should definitely be doing and I think if we're ranking and I know there's been a lot more debate about it recently in my opinion I think I speak for all of us Quentin Byfield probably is the better player right now and is going to be the better player than Tim Stutzla so I think they should be taking Quentin Byfield but again like you said with sort of that overthinking aspect and now the comparisons to Patrick Kane starting to shift in and the already loads of center depth that the Kings already have I wouldn't be shocked I don't think anybody would be if they took Tim Stutzla okay so moving on or back to Byfield, but a little bit towards the Byfield and Lafreniere comparison. Uh, everyone you ask, well, at least almost everyone, has Lafreniere as the consensus number one pick. I know I've been leaning towards Byfield maybe going number one. I know, Rain, you've been adamant about Byfield going number one. Cam Robinson, another guy on, on Hockey Prospect Twitter who's been adamant about this. So Lafreniere is clearly the better player right now, but how much does that matter when Byfield has a, has a higher ceiling and excluding Lafreniere, how much does this mindset and does this narrative play into the fact that centers usually take longer to develop? Yeah, I think with, uh, so with the Lafreniere and Byfield debate, I, I think a lot of people or a lot of the hockey fans that look at the two players, they look at the world juniors and they see, Oh, Lafreniere was an absolute God, which he was, he was incredible. I'm not taking anything away from that, but, He's also a full calendar year older than Quinn Byfield. And not a lot of people are looking at uh, Alexi's performance the year before in Vancouver, where, you know, he wasn't playing a prominent role. He was in the bottom six. He was the 13th forward, which is what Byfield was this year. You know, he didn't have uh, the same ice time, the same opportunities that uh, Lafreniere had. So I think with the two players, you see with Lafreniere, it, it's pretty clear. He's a plug and play top six player instantly like once he steps onto that NHL ice he's going to be in that top six right away 
Whereas with Byfield, I think it's a little bit more of a developmental process where if he spends another year in the OHL, that does, you know, wonders for him. He's going to have a great career. And I think a few years from now, he might be the best player in this draft. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the, that's the thing. And you look at who's better right now. And that's the whole point. When you're looking at, at drafting a player, you have to look at who's the best right now. And then you have to look at who's going to be the best in in 10 years, maybe even five years. So I was looking a little bit at previous drafts. And every, it almost seems like every single year there's a center or a couple of centers that are, are slept on in favor of the winger who's better at that moment. You look at 2014 and you had Nylander, Ehlers, Richie, Fiala, Perlini, Vrana, and Julius Honka all taken before Dylan Larkin. And with Dylan Larkin, the same thing is, well, he had a lot of stuff to work on with his game. He's pretty lanky. I don't know if he's strong enough. 2015, you had Hannafin, Zaka, Provorov, uh, Meyer, Rantanen, Kraus, uh, DeBrusque, Gurianov, all before Matt Barzell. And obviously there are a few wingers that you could argue, like, like Rantanen or Marner, that you would take before Bar Barzell, maybe. And then same thing in, in 2011. Um, you had Huberto, Landeskog, all take and Strom before Shifley. How many of those guys, maybe not Huberto, would you take before Shifley? I bet Shifley, um, probably close to Huberto, would be the consensus one and two. So I see this every single year, and I think people forget it's a lot easier as a winger to step into the league, step into a role. You don't have as much defense to play, but if you're playing center, you're all over the ice, and centers have historically taken longer to develop their game. Someone like Sean Couturier in Philadelphia is a perfect example. So um, do you think a lot of it has to do with the development of a center and how it may not be as much of a sure, sure thing as a winger. Yeah, I think so because I, I sort of like to think of Quinn Byfield's situation. I like to compare it with uh, Dylan Strom from a few years ago where he was the third overall pick and, you know, a, a lot of people thought he could jump up to the NHL right away, but uh, Arizona was like, no, let's send him back to junior another year. And it, it sort of worked wonders for him. He dominated in the OHL. He had a great year. And then, I think Byfield next year, if, you know, whoever picks him up, you know, uh, sends him back to the OHL and doesn't rush him, I think he's going back into an awesome situation in Sudbury where, you know, they, they're going to have a really experienced team. They're going to have a lot of good players and, you know, also some high quality guys that they just recently drafted. So I think if, you know, the develop, the developmental process for Byfield, if he ends up going back, it'll do wonders for him. And I think he, uh, you know, doesn't get rushed in the NHL. And then once he can slowly slide in and transition to that next level, I think he will be the best player in the draft. Like no doubt about it. The, the size and speed that he has at that level, it's, it's really rare. Like he's like, to me, he's literally a unicorn on ice. And that's why I think he, he'll be that successful. For me, when it comes to Quentin Byfield, I just look at the guy and he's six four two fifteen at 17 yeah. years old. And if yeah. you add 15 to 20 pounds on that guy, like he is going to be an absolute machine down the ice, just absolute power forward. And like you said, he has all the skills, the shooting, the skating, everything that works in his wonder. The potential is so there. And he's so much younger than Alexi Lafreniere. Like you said, a full yeah. calendar year. I think Alexi Lafreniere, we already sort of knew he was going to always go first overall in this draft. And I think his long-standing stock as the best player in this draft, like we've been hearing about him for at least three years now, yeah. definitely works in his favor with that regard. And I think now even more so with a pretty decent team in the placeholder position that's going to have the chance to draft him and is going to want it, him to play sooner than Quentin Byfield, which he probably will be effective in the uh, short term than Quentin Byfield, they're definitely going to want that. And I think that's going to work in the favor of the team that now has the right to draft him. But if you're LA or Ottawa or even Detroit somehow who have the chance to draft this guy and play the long game with him and not rush him, I think that's the perfect scenario for those teams because exactly. he is a project. Quentin Byfield yeah. is definitely a project. He's not a short-term stopgap for anybody, but long-term I think I agree with you guys in the sense that he can be the best player in this draft when we look back on it in like 10 years from now. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. the thing with centers. You said it there is, is there a project? They take time. It's going to be so easy. And obviously Lafreniere is going to step into the league right away and he'll probably get 60 points consistently and 80 points, probably even a hundred points, but Byfield might not, Byfield's uh, value or Byfield's skill set might not even be noticeable for five, maybe even six years down the line. Centers take a lot of time. And I think, 
when at a certain point Lafreniere might plateau and Byfield will take that extra step as a center, as, as someone who's grown. And like you said, he's already six foot four and to skate that fast, I think people who I've seen in there who've had Byfield at three or four, if Detroit or Ottawa takes him, you're going to look back in 10 years and Quinton Byfield could be the best player out of the out of the 2020 draft he could be the best third overall pick of all time because to me watching him play I was able to catch up on a couple of Sudbury games um he he reminds me so much of Malkin and that's a comparison that not a lot of people like but I honestly I see the I see the comparison with the way he skates the way he shoots just his overall frame and I think if if you can get an Evgeny Malkin not in the top two you won the draft and you will be forever known as the team that stole one of the best players in the league to come. I also with, uh, with Byfield, like in Sudbury this year, like I said, you know, next year, if he ends up going back, that Sudbury will be a good team. But, you know, this year Sudbury was not, you know, the best team in the OHL by any means. Uh, Like once Byfield left for the world junior camp, they were pretty much atrocious. They were, they couldn't get anything done without him. And, you know, Lafreniere is playing with two already NHL draft picks, so his points are already going to go up, whereas Byfield had would have to do a lot, and he'd have to play against, you know, the other team's top pairing every night without the same help that Lafreniere had, yet he still put up historical numbers before he left for the World Junior Camp. So, you know, all signs, all, all the signs point to Byfield, like, being an incredible player, and he is, and, you know, the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah, and I think – Kudos to you and, and people like Cam Robinson who have been consistent with their narrative in a, in a in a environment like hockey Twitter prospect Twitter specifically where you know any any ranking that is out of the ordinary kind of gets criticized. So um, respects to people who have been consistent with this narrative. Um, I agree, and as a Habs fan, you know I've been saying like I wouldn't be upset if Montreal took Byfield number one. I think the Bell Center would burn down knowing that you yeah. a French superstar. And obviously I'd be happy with Lafreniere, but. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to see people consistent with those narratives. And looking at uh, some U18 CHL statistics, these are tweeted by Cam Robinson. Byfield played 45 games, had 32 goals. Lafreniere played 61 and had 37. They both had uh, – Byfield has .71 goals per game. Lafreniere had .61. Um, their point totals are eerily similar. And it's, it's – are we not going to pretend that when Lafreniere played for the first time in Team Canada that he didn't receive the Byfield treatment? People were saying, well, I don't know about him. And it's the same thing that happened with Byfield. Byfield didn't have a great World Juniors. But we can talk about this a little bit more, Nick, if you wanted to elaborate. How much stock and value should we be putting into a two-week tournament that in the grand scheme of things isn't that significant compared to a full season with their respective teams? I think we talked about this all the way back when the World Juniors were happening. We were doing a World Junior preview show uh, when we were still doing the show live so much stock is put into that two week tournament because that's when the most eyes are on it, but scouting. And I think rain can speak to this as a scout. You can't compile so much scouting into such a short term product. Scouting has to be something where you're monitoring a player, uh, the entire draft year, if not a couple of years before that, you're monitoring the stock of these players and seeing what they can do. But of course the world juniors is always going to be the hotbed and where people form all their opinions on players because that's simply when the most eyes are on them. But Rain touched on it earlier, Quentin Byfield being a full year younger than Alexi Lafreniere really was a disadvantage for him this year because he had a really similar tournament to Lafreniere a year ago in uh, the 28, sorry, 2019 tournament when Lafreniere was sort of the 13th forward. Byfield was more of the same this year. I guarantee you if Quentin Byfield is playing for Canada this year, if there's a tournament that he would be similar to Lafreniere this year, where he dominates his age group. So a lot of stock cannot be put into such a short-term stretch because simply that that's just no way to evaluate a player. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. And I think um, we'll leave it at that with the, with the byfield. I think in five years we can look back and, and, and hopefully see that we were correct. And as, as they say, let them sleep, because I think Byfield's going to prove a lot of people wrong. And I think if, if he drops to third or fourth, a lot of teams are going to be beating themselves up wishing they got that game-breaking franchise center that Byfield will be. So moving on to the next question we had, assuming Lafreniere and Byfield are the lock at number one and two, the crop of three to six seems to be a little bit scattered depending on whose rankings you have. Uh, Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, uh, Tim Stutzel, Cole Perfetti, uh, Marco Rossi, 
all these guys. Who do you think Rain should be the lock at number three? Yeah, I think the lock should be Lucas Raymond. Uh, I think that guy is an absolutely an incredible player. I, I think, uh, yeah, we did say, you know, the World Juniors and, like, U18s is not, like, the best, you know, performance to look at when it comes to scouting players. But his performance in the U18s last year in that gold medal game was just simply incredible. I, I Honestly, I've never seen anything like it at the U18 level, just to, you know, take a game, like, in the biggest game of all and just – breakthrough and, you know, have an incredible performance, but also playing, you know, with the best of the best in the SHL, you know, it's also one hell of a league there too. So that's my lock at three. And uh, I think whoever gets him will be getting a stud because I think this draft is one of the deepest we've seen in quite some time. Yeah. I mean, watching that game, he completely kind of took over the game himself um, and obviously trying some, some of the moves he made, I'm thinking of the one-on-one -on -one when he came down the half wall and completely undressed the defenseman there to shoot at far side. Um, his play, who would you compare his play to? Because I remember we talked earlier, and he could kind of have the Philip Forsberg um, effect where people kind of sleep on him a little bit, and he could fall later. But I think his lateral movement and skating reminds me a little bit of uh, Mitch Marner a little bit. Um, I think his, his skills with the puck are a little bit better, if I'm being completely honest. Who would you compare Lucas's Raymond, Lucas Raymond's uh, – playing type two uh, right now in the NHL? Yeah, I actually think it's uh, it's a Mitch Marner, you know, that, that right-handed player who has silky hands and, you know, skates really well with the puck and, you know, can make, you know, anything happen in, you know, small space. And considering, you know, he played against, you know, grown men in the SHL and it's one of the best leagues in the world, you know, as an 18-year-old, it's, it's really impressive stuff. So that's why I have him at number three. It's, uh, you know, the, the game tape I got to watch him on. I watched a few games on him and then the U18s as well. I think he's going to be a very good player. Nick, did you want to add? Yeah. I know in sort of that three plus range, there's a lot of defense or sorry. Well, a couple of defensemen now starting to make waves and that and Drysdale and Sanderson, who we're going to talk about more a bit later. Rain, do you put more stuff? Would you look more towards a forward in this area? Cause just personally speaking for me, when I see a forward sort of at that area of the draft, I would prefer if the Senators, for instance, took two forwards as opposed to a forward and a defenseman, just because high scoring forwards are so much harder to come by. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, personally, I think this, uh, this draft is very deep, you know, offensively. Like when you have a guy like Marco Rossi, who's, you know, in your six to eight range, when personally I think he's in the top five, you know, to, in, to have the opportunity to snag a guy like that, at that range is, you know, I, I jump on that immediately. So I think, you know, with this draft and, you know, the group of talent that we have, I think, you know, you, you'd have to go forward here before anything, because like you said, finding, you know, a, a high scoring forward is really rare and it's really hard to come by. You see so many teams, you know, overpaying in a trade for, you know, someone that puts up 60, you know, 50, 60 points when, you, you know, you can just draft him without, you know, spending anything on him. So, I think, you know, yeah, forwards would be the way to go for me in this draft for sure. So one last thing I wanted to touch on Raymond and then move on to the next question. So Lucas Raymond, for whatever reason, seems to be one of the forwards, aside from Quinton Byfield, that a lot of people aren't sold on. And there was actually a tweet yesterday that said that a lot of scouts um, aren't impressed with his game. And looking at NHL's rankings – one of the rankings didn't even have him in the top nine and the other ones, the other two had him somewhere hovering between six to nine. What is it about his game uh, that gets, that makes him get so much criticism? Because from my understanding, I think part of it was, I believe he played more of a defensive role in the SHL and maybe his numbers weren't as, uh, weren't popping off as much as people would expect. Do you think that that plays into it or is there something else with Lucas Raymond's game? No, I think with Lucas Raymond, it's uh the, the thing that a lot of people were looking at is that he didn't really play a lot in the SHL. Yeah, he was effective when he was on the ice, but he wasn't playing top six minutes or anything like that. And same thing with, uh, you know, like all the NHL fans there that always look at the World Juniors as, you know, that big tournament where, you know, prospects have to be good or else they're going to be bust. I, I think it's also a little bit of that as well where, you know, with uh, – with Stutzla, he had an incredible World Juniors and that, you know, upped his stock significantly. Whereas like a guy like a Lucas Raymond or a Quinn Byfield who, you know, didn't, who had a good World Juniors, but not, you know, a terrific one where, 
you know, he blew the doors off everything. I think that's what a lot of people like to look at. So personally, I think with Lucas Raymond, it's uh, the lack of ice time he got. Because let's be real here. I, I think, you know, overseas in a lot of those uh, leagues there, it's uh, those young guys don't really get to play a lot because, you know, they're young and then you can send them back and forth for the, their respective junior leagues. So I think that's what the issue is, was, is uh, people didn't see him, you know, excel a lot playing with men but you know he's 18 right so what, what else can you expect but you know from from this the the tape I saw on him and you know following him for about like two years now like I'm sold on the guy and I think he's going to be a great player at the next level yeah and I think if if you're Ottawa and you're in a situation where Byfield falls to three and Raymond falls to five you definitely win the draft especially if later on you have that late pick from the New York Islanders so <clears throat> I think as we talked earlier, if, if sense fans are upset, which, which I understand if you end up with a draft like that, um, you win like without a doubt. So, um, <clears throat> that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear your thoughts on Lucas Raymond. Um, moving on more towards the defensive side. Um, Tom Fitzgerald of the New Jersey devils in a recent interview was asked about what he's looking for at this year's draft. And he said, um, I, we need to look at the back end, some size, some hardness with the ability to move pucks. I don't think we need anything flashy. Um, we need more of a presence, which to me sounds like the most old school hockey thing you can say. He said, I don't know who's going to be out there. You can look at the potential list and get all excited about one player or another player. But at the end of the day, things change. and We have so much time. <clears throat> um, but I do think we need to look at becoming a bigger and harder defense core uh, to play against. So do you think that if you're New Jersey – and they're picking uh, seventh, do you think they pass up on one of those wingers and reach for someone, if Drysdale's available, but could you see them taking someone like Jake Sanderson or even Caden Gooley um, ahead of Drysdale with this quote? Yeah, like I think, like, uh, you know, I, I just joined McKean's recently, but in their rankings, uh, they actually have Sanderson ahead of Drysdale, which had me surprised of all, because I think, I think the main thing when you're looking at Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale is that uh, I think I think Sanderson is a little more fundamentally sound defensively. Like he was really good with his gap control. Like he's you know he's still a pretty smooth skater and he's a relatively big guy. Whereas you know a lot of people are looking at Jamie Drysdale's offensive skill set, where you know he's a really good puck mover. He's an incredible skater and he's got just incredible hockey IQ. So. With me, I, I still think Drysdale is the best bet. But, you know, I, I like Jake Sanderson as a prospect. I don't think he's, you know, you know, a future top two defenseman. I think he's he's a really, you know, solid top four defenseman. I think he can put you up or can put up, I think, maybe 30 points. But I think Jamie Drysdale, like, has the bigger ceiling. And I think he'll, he will end up being the better player. So, you know, I, I sort of see what New Jersey's saying, but not necessarily because – I think if you want to draft defenseman, I think you have to go with Jamie Drysdale. Yeah, I think um, looking at – and so much – that's a very old-school hockey thing to talk to say. Yeah. I think Nick and I talk about this a lot, how GMs kind of have this this sort of skewed perception of players. You look at Moritz Sider last year, who is more of a presence than uh, – or quote-unquote presence than a skilled guy. Um, Nick, I know you are more – critical of this than I am do you want to speak a little bit about how this old school thinking can hurt teams in the long run I think all you need to look at to evaluate this is the 2008 NHL draft where you look at all the defensemen that were taken in that draft that was the year of the defensemen and all of them who were taken before the flashy offensive guy that the senators took a chance on and Eric Carlson at pick number 15 Drew Doughty obviously is a good player whether he's better than Eric Carlson is a constant debate. I don't think he is. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, again, not as good. Luke Shen, uh, Tyler Myers, all defensemen taken ahead. Uh, Kyle Beach is an – or, sorry, he's a forward. But, sorry, Colton Tuber, another defenseman. These were all sort of more presence and two-way guys uh, that were taken. I think you can teach defense and you can teach gap control and you can limit those things with a good coaching system. I think those are the more teachable aspects of hockey, but the harder to teach thing is the dynamite skating and offensive perception and awareness. Those are things, those are more natural talents that come to players. 
it's very difficult. Very seldomly do you see a player suddenly develop those skills in the game. Those are more so things they carry from junior and their younger years of hockey to the NHL. I think you can teach defense. So when looking at that, perhaps somebody like Jamie Drysdale, who's perceived as a weaker defenseman than some of the other ones in this draft, like Jake Sanderson, you can probably teach Jamie Drysdale to effectively uh, close gaps and block shots and whatever else hockey uh, personnel value in a defenseman on the defensive side. But those offensive skills that he has are, I think, things you cannot overlook when drafting defensemen. Yeah, I, that's I, another thing that I think defenseman or Jamie Drysdale gets overlooked for. People think that, you know, he's small, so therefore he's not a good defenseman. But, you know, uh, I, I got to watch him a lot, even dating back to, you know, when he was playing AAA. You know, he's not the biggest defenseman out there, but he uses his body really well uh, to, you know, remove the, the player from the puck. And he's still really good with his stick. So despite the size, Jamie Drysdale is still incredible defensively. Uh, you know, he played for an Erie team that wasn't the best, but he's still logging, you know, a lot of minutes for that team because, you know, they weren't the best and he, he, he played his role effectively. And, and, and back to Drysdale real quick. I think, I, I think, I think his defensive game is overlooked a little bit because I think you compare someone like Sanderson, Sanderson to me reminds me of sort of the hype that Ryan McDonough was getting back when Ryan McDonough was drafted. There was a lot of hype around Ryan McDonough being a perfect, complete sort of presence. And obviously I hate the trade as a Habs fan, one of the worst I think in history, but McDonough did not have, he's had a good career and he's still having a good career, but he did not live up to the expectations. And I think so much with Jake Sanderson, you might see that. And back to Drysdale, Drysdale's defensive game is overlooked a little bit. And I think, I keep seeing the um, the Duncan Keith comparison, except a much better skater. And I see I see some similarities uh, in their game. But back to Sanderson, because he was in the late 20s, and he has almost because he was so underrated in 20, he has moved up, and now it seems the point where he's becoming so overrated. Um, but watching him, he's a, he's a good skater, and like you said, Nick, sort of back to the you can teach defense. I would always, always, always agree with that, except. This year, and I wasn't going to ask this, but since Nick brought it up, I'll ask Rain um, about his thoughts on someone like Jeremy Poirier, who lit up the queue offensively. And if, honestly, in, in my opinion, watching a little bit of his tapes, he reminds me a lot of Thomas Shabbat. He has probably one of the most skilled players in the draft, unbelievable hands. But it's not even like he struggles with gap control. When watching him, it doesn't look like he can play defense. So I was curious what your evaluation would be on him and how much – drafting for a presence or drafting for skill um, would play into someone like Jeremy Poirier? Yeah, I think, I think ultimately with Jeremy Poirier, I think it's being in the right situation and finding, you know, the right team to properly develop them. I think uh, like uh, I'll compare, I'll compare, you know, Poirier's situation with a Blackhawks prospect and uh, Nick Bodin. I think, you know, Chicago's doing a really good job with him, you know, not rushing him and, you know, giving him the necessary minutes, you know, at the AHL level. So I think with, you know, a person like Jeremy Poirier, who's not, you know, as good defensively, you know, it's really important also with his junior team to, you know, give him situations where he can properly develop that, you know, those habits and create, you know, good habits for him. So I think with, uh, you know, a guy like Jeremy Poirier, you have to, like his skill set, you know, offensively is, you know, really impressive, but yeah, defensively, it's not, it doesn't look very good. So uh, that's why, you know, not a lot of people have them in the first round. So, you know, obviously there's going to be a team there that, you know, jumps on that offensive potential and uh, it'll be up to them on whether or not if he can, you know, prove it defensively. Right. So back to um, the Sanderson Drysdale thing. I think that's a good evaluation of Poirier, by the way. Um, both LA and Anaheim both need, they both need defensemen. I think now you can you can basically cross off Byfield or check off Byfield going to LA. I think that's going to be a sure thing. Do you see a scenario where they both go top five, maybe even top ten? With uh, Sanderson and Drysdale? Oh, yeah, both of them, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, like, we saw it last year. I, I think after uh, Bowen Byron was, was taken, like, there was a lot of kerfuffle, so to speak. That's why Sater went six and, you know, stuff like that, where – 
I think in the top or top 10 for this year, I think Jamie Drysdale is a lock for the top 10 for sure. But, you know, if there's a team in the top 10 that chooses, you know, to go defense over forward, then, you know, Jake Sanderson's your next guy. But for me personally, I think this draft is way too deep, way too deep offensively. And like, say you pass up on a Marco Rossi for Jake Sanderson, that's like, I, I would never do that, you know? So I think with me, you still have to take the best player available because at the end of the day, you're, you're looking to build for the future rather than build for, you know, player need and whatnot, because you're not expecting Jake Sanderson to, to slide in right away because I still think he has a lot of work to do. I think North Dakota is a really good fit for him. So I think you have to look for the future. So I would still pick the best player available, but in some cases, Jamie Drysdale will be that best player available, like out of, out of five or out of six. So I think Drysdale for sure will be a top 10 pick where Sanderson, I, I, I do end up thinking like an NHL team will end up taking a risk on him. But personally, I, I would still go offensively because this draft is way too special to, to pass up on a Perfetti or a Rossi or a Holtz type of thing. My last quick thought on Sanderson is watch out for the Senators with him because Ottawa's got a lot of ties to the University of North Dakota recently yeah. with Jacob Bernard Docker, Johnny Taconic, and Shane Pinto. All uh, Well, Taconic has left now, but all three played for them last year. So that's obviously a school that Ottawa likes. They're one team to watch out for when it comes to Jake Sanderson, I think. All right, so Rain, we'll move on now. There's a lot of hype around Yaroslav Askarov and it's a lot more than we've seen from a goalie in the draft in a long, long time. Are you opposed to teams taking goalies in the first round or higher up in the draft? Because I know sort of the analytics community, for instance, has proposed the idea of not drafting goalies at all, which is probably a bit extreme. But yeah, where do you realistically be, see him being selected? And do you have any thoughts on where he should realistically go in the draft? I think, I think personally with Yaroslav Askarov, I think he is one of the best goalie prospects that we've seen in quite some time. Like I, I, I put him up there in the Vasilevsky ranks and, you know, not as good as Price maybe, but, you know, coming into the NHL draft, he, he is one of the best goalies I've seen in, you know, a while. So I think he, I don't think he's a top 10 pick, like just because of, you know, the, the depth offensively and also, you know, with the two defensemen and they could slide into the top 10. So, I think he's a top 20 pick. Uh, personally, I, I think he does, you know, find himself in the first round uh, for sure. But I think with, you know, I was thinking like a team like Chicago, you know, they're cool. Like, you know, I'm sure you're aware as much as I'm aware that, you know, the goaltending situation in Chicago hasn't been pretty for the past few years. And, you know, Corey Crawford is, uh, you know, an unrestricted free agent, I'm pretty sure at the end of the season. So, you know, and also, you know, in their prospect pool, goaltending wise, like I, I think Alexi Gravel, he wasn't signed and he was, a, you know, I think a third round pick for the Hawks back in 2018. So, and just thinking for, you know, places for him to go, I think Chicago would be a team that they're, they're thinking of. Yeah, I see teams like Chicago and Minnesota, they really jump out yeah. to me as teams that don't have sort of that next up and coming goaltender prospect. Even somebody like the Toronto Maple Leafs, Frederick Anderson's contract is going to be up in a couple of years. Can they afford to re-sign Frederick Anderson is going to be a question. Could they potentially take a chance on Yaroslav Askarov? These are a lot of questions that are going to be asked of these teams because he's somebody like, uh, I compare it to personally, to somebody like Carter Hart, who had a really healthy draft profile coming into his draft year. And he... I would argue now since Carey Price was the most hyped up Canadian goalie prospect that we yeah. had seen in like in 10 to 15 years, I sort of profile Yaroslav Askarov in that same way, sort of like Vasilevsky, like you had mentioned, and we're sure he's going to be good at this point, but goalies are voodoo as we all know. And they're really boom yeah. or bust. Like we have goalies are the hardest prospects to predict. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Pat. Yeah, I think, goalies are really weird and I think in Montreal's case they lucked out with the Carey Price situation I still wonder what would have happened if they had taken Anze Kopitar over Carey Price how that would have changed the dynamic of Montreal seeing as even up until just a couple years ago or last year with Suzuki and Kakaniemi how weak they were at center 
could have kept Halak. Yep, could have kept Halak and, and all that stuff. So I wonder that. And I think in this draft, if if you're a team who needs a goalie and you're picking late in the first round or early second, then by all means, take a scar off. But I think to take him at 15, if you have someone like Dawson Mercer or Dylan Holloway or players who could make a bigger impact coming into the league than a goalie, um, I think I, w- I think I would rather see teams do that. You look at last year, Florida and Dale Talon taking Spencer Knight. Um, I think this is one of those situations. I think the rankings putting him and Askarov, putting Askarov in the top 15, even top 10 sometimes, I think that's fine. And I think he deserves to be there in terms of everything he's done. But you also have to look at NHL projection and how these players are going to translate. It's going to be harder. It's going to take longer for a guy like that. And if you're a team where you have a window or your window is starting, I think you're better off taking one of those guys, someone like Emil Andre, younger players who will probably transition better. But I also think I was looking at yesterday, like Ottawa's situation, if you can end up with Byfield and Raymond or Byfield and Drysdale and you have your your one seat, your number one defenseman, and say a team like the Islanders get bounced in the first round, you take a scar off, all of a sudden you have solidified every single position down the middle on the wing, throw in Kachuk, throw in Shabbat and Brands- and Brandstrom and Drysdale, and then your goalie. That's a situation where I could see it. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think teams should be wary about taking a goalie that early, um, yeah. especially if there are better pieces available. Yeah, I think so too, especially with this draft. You know, like, like I've said over and over, like this is – probably one of the best drafts that we've seen in quite some time and a lot of people compare it to the that this could be just as good if not better than the 2003 draft which I still don't think yet but I, I think that it has the potential to you know have that good of a draft class like if you're you know deciding between like a Dylan Holloway or Yaroslav Askarov then obviously I'm going to pick the you know Dylan Holloway that type of thing so like I wouldn't like with me I wouldn't be surprised if you know, a team inside the top 20 took a chance on a scar but personally for me, like I, I wouldn't, uh, I, I'd always pick the player over the goalie. Well, that's always interesting. Like that, the goaltenders are always an interesting discussion of a draft. I guess we'll sort of shift now into uh, sort of the three teams that we, or the two teams that we talk about. Okay. I'll cut this out, Pat. Right, Pat just texted me. Yeah. What to do. Um, okay. Rain, we've already touched on a lot of prospects in today's shows that have seen their stocks either rise or fall this year. I think one that has definitely risen, and we sort of said, is Jake Sanderson. Are there any risers or fallers in this draft that have really caught your eye specifically? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you one riser for me and one faller. So I'll start off with the, the faller. So I think uh, the person that dropped for me was uh, was a John Luke Fruity. So I, I don't know if you guys uh, know of him, but he's a uh, he plays for the Windsor Spitfires. He's a uh, a really skilled center. In his rookie year, he he had 40 points on a playoff team. So like he was really impressive. But I think the thing with him was that he he wasn't particularly confident in his shot. Like he's he's more so of a, a playmaking center. He loves to feed the puck to his teammates, but. You know, when OHL teams realized this and they knew that, you know, he doesn't like to shoot, uh, it, it put him in, in situations where he was uncomfortable and, you know, he, we didn't see a lot of progression and growth from him. So with me at the beginning of the year, I sort of had him on the fringe in the first round. He could become, you know, a mid-first mid round pick if he had a really good year, but I didn't really see it from him. So, you know, that's one player where, you know, I saw – you know, a bit of a fall for me, but uh, the riser for me, I'm going to stick in the OHL. For me, it was Marco Rossi. So with Marco Rossi, uh, I, I sort of wasn't, you know, confident in him at the beginning of the year because for me, it was, I think, Byfield's the best. You know, I think he's going to be the best center coming out of the draft, that type of thing. But when when I saw Marco Rossi do what he did this year, like I know he had a really good team around him. He had a Jack Quinn with him and a Noel Hoffenmeyer on the back end. But to see what he could do, and, you know, the amount of points he put up, he was he was sensational. And, you know, a lot of people knock on him because he's a small center. He's 5'9". He's not the biggest guy. So people automatically think that he's not good defensively. But from what I saw from him, I saw a lot of 67 games because they're the, one of the best teams in the CHL. So I'd love watching them. 
Rossi was incredible defensively. He's so strong with the puck. His, uh, you know, his, he, like Patrick said it perfectly before the show started, like, you know, a lot of people don't like to use the Sid comparisons, but the way he plays, the way he uses his body to protect the puck and the way he uses his legs to generate power and force, like I sort of see that comparison. And that's a person for me that rose for me. I, I think Marco Rossi's, you know, like talent wise and skill wise is a top five player in this draft. Do you know of anybody sort of maybe outside the first round that could be a potential riser or uh, steal in the draft? One player I sort of looked at, and this is purely through my own hometown bias, is uh, Evan Veerling, who plays for the Barry Colts. Okay, well, good. We're on the same page. He was a really, really high draft pick when he was drafted into the OHL, was in a pretty terrible situation in Flint. But then sort of towards the end of this year before it was – put on lockdown really started to show what he had and was capable of with the Barry Colts. And from when he was once touted as potentially a first round NHL draft pick, he's probably going to go somewhere in the late second, third round. Now, Do you have any thoughts on players like that? And maybe specifically somebody like Evan Beerling? Yeah. So that was the first player that popped in my mind for, you know, a steal outside the first round. Uh, yeah. Evan Beerling, he, he had actually a really, a, like, a terrific start with Flint, but uh, he chose to step away from the team. Uh, he had some personal issues he wanted to deal with, and ultimately he ended up getting out of Flint and uh, into a decently good situation with uh, Barry because he got to play with Tyson Forrester. He, you know, developed some instant chemistry with him, and he was a great player. That that's one guy I saw as a person. I was like, wow, this is a this is someone that I think could be a steal. And another person I like to look at is a really good player is a you know, biased Michigan, but, you know, I got to watch him a lot. Uh, Brendan Brisson. So he's a, he, uh, he played for the Chicago Steel this year. Uh, a lot of people like him in the first round. And I, I sort of see like a, a late first round pick with him and also maybe an early second, but he was terrific in the USHL this year. He had an incredible World Junior A challenge. And uh, he's actually the son of, uh, uh, you know, NHL super agent Pat Brisson. So, you know, the hockey bloodlines there. And uh, he's going to Michigan next year. And I think he's a really skilled center. Like, just just the things he was able to do on that Chicago Steel team was uh, nothing short of incredible. They had, like, a dynasty-type season. And uh, I, I think he could surprise a lot of people. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he found himself in the first round. Outside of those guys, is there anybody you'd maybe peg as a later-round Steel, even later than the first couple of rounds? Yeah, so I, I got to watch, uh, you know, a bunch of Steelhead games this year. So there was uh, James Hardy from, you know, the Steelheads. He had an incredible year. Uh, Miss Saga didn't start out very good. So, uh, you know, James Hardy, he was able to play with some quality players. And once they got to, you know, ba- once Thomas Harley came back from World Junior Camp, that's when they really started to turn it on. And that's where I thought he was really effective. And, you know, I think he's a really good scoring winger. I think someone, you know, in the fourth, fifth round takes a chance on him. He's going to be a really good player. Awesome, Rain. That's really good insight. And I guess we'll now sort of shift to our closing sort of thing. So Pat and I always obviously like to talk about the Senators and the Habs. And when Luke's here, we touch on the Canucks quite a bit. We'll stick with uh, where your personal biases lied, or lie for now uh, in Chicago, your uh, boyhood team. We're going to talk about some maybe personal needs for the Senators, the Canadians, and the Blackhawks. And I guess we'll start with the two first picks with the Ottawa Senators. What needs do you see the Senators having in this draft that they need to address? Yeah, I think when you're in the when you have two t- two picks in the top five, I think you have to draft best player available. And considering where Ottawa is, they have a really good uh, prospect pool. Not a lot of people talk about it. Everyone likes to dog on Ottawa for being this bad franchise and you know at times they do show that but you know Pierre Dorian is great at you know drafting you know and also getting a guy like Josh Norris and you know Logan Brown's also coming up and Drake Batherson's also you know going to be a really good player I think I think with Ottawa you, you just draft the best player available and then after that you deal with that later so I think with Ottawa no matter who they pick in the top five obviously aside from like a you know a big surprise that type of thing I think if they end up with like a a Byfield or a Stutzla or a Raymond and a Holtz, if they drop both of them together, that would be one hell of a thing to see. Uh, I think with Ottawa, even getting a guy like Marco Rossi, which I'm sure the Senators saw 
plenty of him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went there as well. So a lot of options Ottawa has, and I think they'll end up making the right move regardless of what happens. So I think they'll be good. Yeah, we've touched on it throughout the episode. It's really hard to go wrong in the three and five position. I think Ottawa definitely, well, they do have some good center prospects. Like you said, Norris and Brown are the standouts in the system already. They really do still lack that game-breaking centerman. And I think with the two picks that they have in the top five, there's the perfect scenario to draft that first line pivot going forward. And that's obviously something their biggest need, I think. Um, We've given plenty of thoughts on Ottawa. We'll shift over now to Montreal. And Pat, uh, what needs do you think the Montreal Canadiens need to address? Obviously, they could still draft first overall. We don't know. But let's assume maybe they're not going to draft Alexi Lafreniere, which would definitely fill a need for that good French-Canadian talent in that marketplace. Let's maybe shift towards maybe the latter half of the top ten. What do you see being a need for the Montreal Canadiens? Well, for starters, I think I've said before, and I've gone on record to say this, I would not be upset if, if at first Montreal took Byfield. Um, obviously, the, the linguistic bias and yeah. one of the biggest factor in Montreal, whether it's a player, a coach, a general manager, is always language. And I honestly think, we'll get, we, can get, we don't have to get into this, but if Byfield spoke French, there would be a lot more Habs fans craving for that center who spoke French. So, um, I wouldn't be upset if Montreal took Byfield Lafreniere. I'd also be excited, obviously. But excluding that, um, if they obviously don't win the, the next lottery following the play-in round, they're set to pick at ninth. And I think if someone like Lucas Raymond is available, as we've seen in, in various rankings, I would not be upset with that. He would be the best player available. Like Rain said, he thinks he should be a lock at three. And I think I would agree with that. But Montreal's biggest need, and this is something I fear as a Habs fan, is defense right and left side we talk so much about montreal's left side you have someone like alexander romanov coming up who i'm a big fan of i'm not convinced he's going to be the savior on the left side to slot in on the first pair i think he's a he's a fine second line player i'm not big on victor mete these guys are fine but there's also the right side we talk about uh, shea weber and jeff petrie these are solid nhl players but Weber's getting old, and I think you're going to see Petrie shipped off in the next couple of years. So if someone like Drysdale is available, that would be perfect. But I, fe- I fear that understanding their positional need, especially how weak it is at the left side, that they could end up taking Jake Sanderson. And I think that would be um, a pretty significant loss for Montreal if they were to do that and, and draft strictly on, on position. So if one of those guys like Holtz or Perfetti or Raymond is available, then by all means, even Drysdale, but I don't think that, that'll happen, then by all means, take them. Um, but, but I do, and as we approach the draft and as Jake Sanderson gets more hype, I definitely think that you could see them reaching for him, and that's not something that I would like. Rain, any thoughts for you on the Habs' needs? Yeah, I think, I think with the Habs, I think it is defensively. Like, uh, I, I, I don't like the people that are already writing off Jesperi Kokaniemi. I think that's very stupid. Like he's, he's, he's still 19, 20 and he's still filling into his body. So I think people writing him off like two years in a league and he was pro he played a year and a half of NHL hockey. So like to already throw him off is, is pretty stupid, I think. But yeah, I, I do think defensively is where the Habs should be looking at because, uh, you know, offensively they do still have a lot of very good prospects. Nick Suzuki looked really good this year, you know, that type of thing. So if a Sanderson is there or if a Drysdale is there, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think with the Habs, I, I still think you have to go BPA, best player available. I just want to add real quick, because this is honestly the first time we've heard Jesperi Kakiemi's name pop up in the last couple episodes. So I haven't actually been able to talk about him. He is coming over to Montreal uh, actually within the next couple of weeks to start training camp. I, his, he sort of surpassed what was expected um, for his recovery. And I think, the case I've always made for Jesperi Kotkaniemi is that after his draft year, he should have spent a year in Finland and then play a year in the AHL and then make the jump. And I'm, I'm fine with Montreal giving someone an opportunity, but I think in Jesperi Kotkaniemi's case, to me, and the case I've made before about centers being slept on, I think that's, that's another example. Kachuk could very well end up being the better player, but I still think with Kotkaniemi's ceiling and his hockey sense, he could still end up being better than someone like uh, Philip Zadina, for example. So I think in terms of Montreal and their depth at center, patience with Kotkaniemi is key because, again, they haven't had a center 
since who's been really good since Saku Koivu, but even then he was more of a two C than anything else. So I think, I think in terms of them, I wouldn't take a center. I would definitely be patient and, um, and sort of wait it out with someone like uh, Jesperi Kakaniemi. All right. We'll now shift over to rain and the Chicago Blackhawks. Blackhawks sort of stuck really now in that in-between part between they're not bad enough to be in the high lottery positions, but they're also haven't been good enough for the playoffs the past few years. Rain, the Blackhawks are sort of all over the place, some would say right now. What do you see as their biggest need heading into the draft? I think you and I can both agree on this. Uh, we watched a lot of Blackhawk games this year. It's defensively. Uh, like on the back end, the, the Hawks do need to, you know, look to make an upgrade if, if they're looking at, you know, drafting a defenseman in, in that range of 10 to 12. But, hey, I, I think they have a really good chance of beating Edmonton. So maybe a later pick, you, you pick up a defenseman I wouldn't be, you know, too disappointed with. So I, I think, yeah, I think with Chicago, it's it's definitely on the back end. And, you know, that's why I brought up Askarov maybe going to Chicago you know, maybe you do end up taking a scar off with the 10th or 12th pick, wherever they are. And then, you know, you sign Crow to the, to the two, three year deal, you know, let him finish his career in Chicago. And then when a scar is ready, that's when you, you know, put him in. But I think with Chicago, uh, you could go so many ways with this. I, I think offensively, I think they're okay. Like prospect wise, Kirby doc, he had, he had a lot of good moments this season. I think uh, if he didn't have that concussion to start the year, he would have had a better start uh, to the NHL, maybe put up a little more points. That type of thing. I, I, I see the ceiling with him. I think he's going to be a great player. And obviously you have Strom, uh, the Cat, and then Taves and Kane are also still very effective players. Kane's one of the best players in the NHL, just saying. <laughs> and then, so I think with Chicago, uh, yeah, I think defensively is what they have to look at for sure. I, I, I liked Adam Bokas this year, and I think Nick Bodan, Olohasa have the potential to move up. But definitely, it's never a bad thing to, to fix that side of the, the puck. Yeah, and you did touch on it. They do have good defensemen already in the system, and Bokfist, Bodan, and even Ian Mitchell. Yeah. And they all might be impact players in the next one to two years for the Chicago Blackhawks. But as we've seen with so many of the good teams now, you can never have enough good defensemen. So addressing that area for Chicago certainly wouldn't be a bad idea, nor would uh, putting an air to the crease for Corey Crawford in place in Yaroslav Askarov. So I don't think the Chicago Blackhawks can go wrong. It's very hard, in my opinion, to go wrong yeah. later in the draft in yeah. that back half of the first round. So overall, I think the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be able to address what they need to address. So I think we'll, we'll leave it there. And I think we'll wrap up this episode. Definitely um, very informative. A lot of good, a lot of good topics we touched on, especially prospects. This episode with rain is long overdue. Nick and Nick, Luke and I have been talking Absolutely. for almost since last year when we had our, our show on first year, obviously uh, the pandemic with everything with COVID kind of changed it. But um, rain, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking prospects. Um, if, for those listening, if you want to reach Rain, you can find him at Bringer of Rain on Twitter. Um, and as I mentioned before, he just got hired by McKean's Hockey, so look out for some of his work there. Uh, Nick is at Nikos Robinson, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, you can reach me at uh, Patrick Talon 81 on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for being here, and uh, thanks for listening.